Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become greater and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Freddie and Charlie founded Wild Cosmetics, a new sustainable natural deodorant delivered straight to your door. Aluminium-free with compostable, plastic-free refills and a 100% effective formula. I caught up with the boys on how they created such an innovative product, why design is at the heart of the brand, and how they originally came up with the idea, seeing a gap in the market. We talked about greenwashing, the negative impact of what is currently available on the market, and how their biggest investment has gone into product and packaging. Freddie and Charlie shared with me that saying no has been the hardest skill to learn and continuing to have focus on one product, ensuring it succeeds, has been critical to their strategy. The brand is hugely popular and highly visible on social media, in magazines and amongst celebrities. And with new products in the pipeline, I have no doubt that Wild Cosmetics will continue to be a success story. Tell me more about how the idea came about and then how you guys decided to work together. I'm interested as to whether you decided you wanted to work together and then found a product or whether one of you had the idea and, you know, you came together. Yeah, so um, as you touched on, Charlie and I have have known each other a very, very long time. Um, And, um, you know, both both of us were kind of in different ways quite involved in the in the kind of startup growth scene um, in in London, myself at HelloFresh and um, Charlie um, latterly with kind of Nest or, or Hatched. Um, um, so yeah, it's it, it was something where we would talk a lot about startups and ideas and growth, and and we we, we always get excited about following businesses and um, seeing people do, do exciting things. And obviously I've been on a, an exciting journey at HelloFresh and was really keen to, to kind of drive those learnings. And, um, you know, Charlie had already started a few ventures of himself. So had that kind of entrepreneurial understanding and we, and we both have seen how hard it can be, um, and, and how much time and effort you need to put into it. But I think 
it was important for both of us that we we each knew each other had had some startup experience so we weren't going in kind of blind and then on the idea as as you touched on charlie you know as a, as a side project was doing climate cups um you know from his uh, living room uh selling these reusable kind of coffee cups um and that quickly turned into quite a meaningful business i just remember going over at the weekends and um you know suddenly his living room was was getting fuller and fuller of all these deliveries and he was spending his weekends packing those up and 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 kind of um sending them out and 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 that really kind of got us thinking and talking about the sustainability space which which had kind of prompted charlie into that in the first place and somewhere where i'd seen you know that consumer uh, mindset and opinions were changing really really rapidly and and generally you know larger companies out there were, were kind of not very well set up to respond immediately to those changes so i think a lot of large companies also can see these trends that they're, they're trying to um, find solutions, but they, they think in years rather than than months, um, and and they they take a long time, and, and there's a lot of complexity in, in how those are set up. So we really felt from a kind of um, high level perspective, sustainability was a like high growth macro trend that was here to stay and only getting bigger. That was kind of ripe for disruption and perfectly set up for like more nimble, agile startups with kind of innovation at the core could could really solve some of those key consumer issues. And and not only you know from a customer perspective, but we'd also seen from how you build a team, you need you need a clear mission and purpose nowadays to attract the best talent, and and you really need something that people can get excited about. And you know, removing plastic from the bathroom, I think. Um, certainly was something we 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 felt quite um quite excited about as a challenge and 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 we've managed to to kind of build a, a good team and culture around that as well and how do you i'm interested in um you mentioned about sustainability being being a trend and undoubtedly it's going to take larger businesses a lot longer to implement that and actually see that impact at various levels throughout their businesses and so there is uh, an advantage to being a nimble young business but how do you um prioritize what your issue is in a business for a consumer that is quite discerning about a multitude so I know you um have talked about being a gender neutral brand there's obviously a, a whole range of benefits from it being compostable to being refillable um, there's a sort of war on plastic generally that's happening. And I know that's something that you guys are also in- involved in. How do you decide on the hierarchy or the prioritization of your message when there's sort of so many different areas that you want to impact? Uh, I think it's just really clearly at the beginning, agreeing what your your kind of core purpose is. What is that one thing you want to do? And 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 for us, that was like, really clearly getting rid of single-use plastic in the bathroom was was where we we felt you know there was a there was a huge problem uh, and um there were lots of brands that were solving it in certain ways but not really being able to reach a broad enough customer uh, customer base either because the products didn't quite work they were they were natural and and um you know but 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 you you were sort of sacrificing the the efficacy of it or they were um or, or they weren't very convenient or just kind of marketed at a very kind of niche consumer so i think for us it was it was really clear that the main the main problem here is is plastic and and then there are all sorts of things 
that kind of trickled down from from playing as a progressive brand in in the sustainability space um and and that's where you get the wider you know carbon um becoming carbon neutral making sure um you know diversity and inclusion are in 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 your brand um making sure you're you're thinking about um who you're targeting and and how you're kind of reaching them so there's there's a whole load of things that we we think about um un- underneath that and we and we find the b corp framework has has been really useful in in kind of educating us and and helping us to um to drive those kind of issues but but certainly the the thing we talk about most and and the one thing we want the team to to figure out is 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 removing that that single use plastic from from the bathroom and then the secondary is is kind of creating high performance natural products um and and those are the kind of two core tenants that we focus on i think worth worth mentioning as well um you know we we definitely don't set out to preach at people about what they should and, and shouldn't be doing what we're trying to do is create a alternative option where the the consumer doesn't have to give up on something else so you know they don't have to give up on the convenience of being able to get a product or they don't have to give up on the efficacy of the product um and and historically speaking especially with natural deodorants whereas as fred kind of said they haven't worked or you know they come in this terrible sort of brown or dark green branding um and and you know aren't in any of the main shops um it's just it's unrealistic really that the average person is is going to buy those and yes the kind of eco warrior who's going to go out of their way to you know make sure they don't use any single use plastic are going to use those those kind of products but um the average person isn't and if we're really going to make a difference and solve a problem problem the average person has to be um given the opportunity to buy a product that is sustainable um but is also as convenient as good and and hopefully better than the kind of alternative so hopefully better than the antiperspirant spray deodorant um and so that's what we're trying to make sure we do you know be a, a brand for the mass uh rather than than for just a subsection of society um and i think doing that in a in a kind of non-preachy way but in a way that's enabling um purely by being a good product is is really our mission and if we can do that successfully and if other companies can do that successfully in, in their own niches then you know as a population will naturally become more sustainable and is that kind of like how when veganism overtook restaurants initially there would only be one vegan dish on the menu and it would usually be just vegetables and then as more and more people and more consumers made demands for it you started to see not only huge diversity on menus but also new restaurants popping up that represented that cuisine presumably what you're saying is there's a barrier to entry with products like this particularly in the personal care space that there is just not an easy route for a consumer to find the product so a big part of your strategy is make it look like it fits and sits proudly on someone's shelf but also is easy to access and and easy to buy exactly yeah If, if you have a vegan restaurant that if you took the the category of food as a whole served better dishes that tasted better looked better and the service was better then you'd get people going to that restaurant whether they were vegan or not and eventually you'd also raise more awareness for veganism and uh you know people would copy you so the the whole kind of 
idea would spread. Whereas if you're just serving, you know, vegetables, it's only going to attract the, the kind of very hardcore. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly correlates to that. Do you think there's a growing pressure for brands launching now to strive to be perfect in terms of representing um, multiple different interests from consumers, having low price points, being sustainable, having young dynamic founders, sexy packaging, etc. Do you think that's a standard that's been set and do you think it's positive or negative? Because I suppose if it if it becomes crippling, businesses fail and then they can't make any sort of positive impact. But on the other side, it does drive up the categories because there's an expectation uh, or a demand for more and for better. What, how have you guys found managing that, launching a new business in the last couple of years? I think um, it's, yeah, there the, the definitely is an expectation of perfection now. And uh, it's, it's multifaceted. And in some ways, that's a good thing because companies across, across the spectrum are, are being held to a higher standard. Uh, it's forcing sort of large corporates to think about issues that maybe they've got away with for for kind of decades and um, think about their, their best practice and, and, you know, from everything from who they're hiring to who makes their product to where they source it from and so on. Uh, on the other hand, you know, for a brand like us, we're, we're heavily sort of social first, um, which means, you know, we have a big social following. We do a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, it does open you up to criticism. Um, and we're, we're kind of very careful, you know, to go back to the idea of not preaching, to, to not try and tell people what to do and, and to not preach. Because uh, it's, as soon as you do that, you know, you're never going to really be perfect in reality. And there's always going to be people out there who will, uh, you know, bring up issues or something you've overlooked or something you've never even thought of um, and, and find plot holes in, in, in your story. Um, so I think we, we, you know, we've already seen it on a sort of very small scale, but um, being a social brand and, and the expectations that come with that now um, definitely have dangers to it. And, and all we can do is just make sure that we live up to our own ideals, make sure we live up to everything we're saying we're doing. Um, and I guess internally be, be very happy with our own situation and feel like we're, we're doing stuff in the right way. And then worst case scenario, we're happy in ourselves, even if, if everyone else out there isn't. But ultimately, there will always be people who, who will pick holes in what you're doing. Um, whether it's through boredom or online trolling or, or anything, it's it's just a, a kind of a new set of of being an online business. Do you guys get trolled? Not much, but you know, there's there's always you know there's there's a couple of people out there who misconstrue things we say or um, don't like something we've done or take something the wrong way, and and ultimately they they have a platform where they can share it with all their followers. There's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, occasionally it happens. Luckily for us so far, it gets kind of drowned out by um, the supporters and, and people saying good things about us. But I'm sure at some stage in the future, we'll get something wrong and, and you know, we'll probably pay a high price for it in terms of kind of social um, noise. But as long as it's nothing too fundamental, I think I think it can all be overcome. And and very much uh, in these situations, it's it's a 
yeah, there's a lot of noise for a brief period of time and providing you act sensibly throughout that period, you can normally get through it. Um, obviously, there's ex there's ex many examples of people, you know, being fined out for having serious issues in their sort of supply chain or something. And, and that's a different story. But um, I think for us, we're, we're, you know, we're trying everything we can. And as Fred says, sort of being guided by, by B Corp as well to make sure there's there's kind of fairness and equality and um our, our mission is is genuinely sustainable not just kind of greenwashing or anything like that um and as long as we can do that successfully i think we, we should be okay yeah it's interesting isn't it to have to almost build into a strategy that at some point someone might say something online that sort of is so inflammatory that it it causes you a bit of heat for a while. It's a very yeah. different way to, to navigate the launch of a business. Um, yeah. And, and just, to, just to add to that, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, making sure the team really understand what you're doing, who you are and, 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 and what you kind of stand for. And then also just being open that, not you know, you're not perfect. There, there are, I don't think any brand is perfect either. There, there are decisions, um, you know, even even Patagonia, who are the sort of, uh, pioneers and and really the, the the top example of sustainable um companies you know there are, there are real challenges of selling clothes sustainably and, and and that filters down to everyone so i think we we just try and um always trying to guide ourselves and 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 benchmark ourselves but also make sure we as a team are really focused on on what we're trying to achieve and and then the second half of that is what I said to the team the other day is, you know, when, when you're flying high, you can often forget about your core customers or your um, family and friends who've helped you. And I, I think we, we try and spend a lot of time, you know, making sure in the good times we're, we're really nurturing that core base and, and we're really making, showing them some love and attention. And, and, and um, you know, if we ever um, do have challenges, those are ultimately going to be the people who, who are there for us and, and who want to buy our, our brands and products for, for the long term. So I think that's a really important part of it as well. Yeah, I guess you mentioned Patagonia as kind of a gold standard. And I think having larger profits obviously gives people a lot more choice in terms of how they give back. And I guess part of the business plan is the sequencing of where and how you can actually make those changes that are additive rather than necessarily doing everything on day one it's kind of there has to presumably be um there are going to be things that you can only access later on as you as you become more and more successful i assume is that correct or do you feel like you have to sort of do everything from day one no, I, I, exactly my my belief on this as well you know that the, no one cares if you're a sustainable business that sends out 10 deodorants a year um and and burns through you know all of your investors money ultimately we're a, um you know we, we we need to be a business that is well run and financially independent and delivering value for for our shareholders and, and the bigger we get the bigger our kind of impact so i, I definitely feel you know I, when we look back at well, what I want to be judged on is is where do we get to in three and five years rather than where are we specifically on the journey in any one time. And, and in order to have a big impact, you need to be a meaningful business. Um, and so th the best thing we can do is is create a great product and 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 really rapidly expand that. Um, and then, you know, the, that gives us a lot more opportunity to um, as you say, work, work, work with charities, play with our profits, you know, uh, and, and, and reinvest into 
you know, some of these uh, longer term kind of initiatives, whether that's building our own factory, whether that's, um, you know, insourcing some of our supply, all, all of these things become options as you as you grow bigger, but um, are not possible when you're when you're just fighting it out as a as a small brand trying to trying to get somewhere. Yeah, I guess there's a an unavoidable tension between sustainability and consumerism. A lot of people would argue that the most sustainable thing to do is to not sell or buy anything. Um, did you guys have advice when you started about how to navigate the sustainable piece? Did you hire a sustainability expert? Did you have mentors or um, sort of pre-investment anyone who was well versed in that or was it like googling talking to people looking stuff up was it quite scrappy i I think we had quite big networks and you know again it it had been firmly on the agenda at hello fresh for me in the last couple of years so i I really kind of understood how that space was evolving um and you know we, we had some really good early investors um who'd had experience in in similar businesses like mindful chef um for example, where they were they were able to connect us and 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 kind of share the sort of um, share the sort of learnings. But ultimately, I think also when when you start your own business, you need to figure stuff out for yourselves and 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 kind of um, just you know agree internally what we what we want to stand for and and how we want to approach things. Um, and um, so far, uh, Charlie and I have agreed on the on the core fundamentals, and 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 we've just tried to keep things simple. I, I, again, the other thing I feel some you can do is just overcomplicate and try and be everything to everyone or, uh, you know, try and, uh, try and do too many things. We, we've been really clear on just creating for now one product, making that product better and, and, and delivering on a, a kind of, um, core, core focus. I want to talk a little bit about the early, early days. I know it might feel rudimentary, but lots of people who certainly I speak to who are, um, thinking of or beginning to start brands generally tend to have similar barriers to entry which are quite restrictive in terms of just the initial uh you know jumping in and getting on with it I think probably a lot of people can talk themselves out of out of a lot of decisions um did you guys find it easy at the beginning to work out who was going to do what and who would be responsible for what did you have very clear job specs roles and responsibilities etc was there any overlap in your skill sets <laughs> we, we we're like bad founders from that perspective you know a lot of people would look at us and go this is never going to work because we're both marketing you know both from marketing backgrounds and and that's both kind of where our our enjoyment and lies but i i think um we specifically chose a, a business and category where marketing is really really important and being very good at marketing is um is, is one of the core skills you need to, to to kind of grow it and you know charlie and i um you know I, I think you never know until you get into that situation where you start having difficult decisions um and and you start having a disagreements whether it's going to work or not and and we've been really lucky um you know once we've got into those situations that um We've been able to, uh, you know, have have really sensible discussions and um, and definitely challenge each other. Um, I, I spent half my day on Slack today telling Charlie needs to do better at, at, at lots of things, and he's been replying to me, telling me I need to do do my job better first. So, you know, there's a, there's a very healthy relationship there, but um, it, it's all positive, and, and we're both focused on 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 the same ultimate goal, and we don't care, you know 
who's driving the business forward in certain areas as long as we're covering the kind of core skill sets and the core um, drivers that we see are, are kind of important. So it, it's, you know, I would definitely say be very careful when you're choosing your co-founder or if you're working with someone and try and stress test it. Um, you know, we, we launched an MVP where it was just us and, and you know, not much capital, not much, you know, risk. It, it, it would have been a bit embarrassing to, uh, to climb down, but but we we didn't have any external investors. We 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 kind of proved out the concept, and and we figured out that um you know we could work with each other, and that took a lot of pressure off in those early stages, rather than raising money straight off the bat and and um being tied in from from the start. Did you have any structures in place like you know vetoes, like if one of you didn't like something, it was gone, or was it just a case of who can argue the other one down enough to try and try and push something through and then worry about it later? It's normally an arguing situation, but we we wrote into contracts uh, right at the beginning what would happen if if we sort of fundamentally disagreed and, and couldn't find a solution. But I think if you get to that stage, um, there's, there's probably other issues to worry about anyway. Um, but yeah, we we, we had a, a process in place. We we actually had some some friends who who had a sort of very similar issue when they kind of. Um, disagreed fundamentally on on the, on, the, on a way a business could progress. So we we'd seen firsthand what that could do, and um, I think it was important to us, obviously, to to maintain our friendship, whatever happened with with this kind of venture. Um, so if if we do disagree, um, there's there's a process that that will kick in, and um, we we hopefully can follow that without too much trouble. Yeah, and and, and so so far so good, but that. The pressure only mounts, like the decisions only get bigger and the pressure only kind of mounts on on that. And, and you know, there are definitely times, it, it's not that linear straight line of growth and success. There, You know, there are times constantly where the, the challenges and the responsibilities now, you know, you've got a growing team, you've got lots of people to think about, you've got investors, you, you've got loads of people giving you advice. So it, it only gets harder. And that's where you, you've just got to be really aligned on a couple of core fundamentals. Otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be a long and hard journey yeah i mean people famously say don't work with your friends but i think there are probably some unique examples where that can be quite advantageous to really know and understand how someone works and what makes them tick and as you say if you're aligned with where you're trying to get to and if there's a shared vision it probably keeps everyone on track uh, a little a little bit more um so let's talk about investment. So you guys did, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you did a seed, was it a seed or a pre-seed of 500k in February 2020? So we did, uh, it was really a pre-seed. So it was it was pre-our launch, which was last April. Um, and it, it was, as you say, half a million. And it took us actually about six months to uh, raise that money. And when we started out, we we kind of went to speak to a load of VCs, and and they were all very interested. Um, but at that point in time, people were um, slightly worried about D 2 C. Uh, they were slightly worried about ecom um, as a whole, uh, and and I think a lot of investors had recently been burnt with um, some very large investments, and and the category as a whole had, had sort of run out of control with. Um, you know, several examples of large companies just burning through cash and, and never achieving profitability. So uh, we got we got very close to to getting the sort of investment we wanted from from some good VCs, but ultimately 
didn't and had to change tack um, and reach out to, to angel investors, um, which was pretty difficult because we didn't really know any at the time. So um, it was a case of cold, cold reach out. And then when we did find someone who was interested, you know, begging them to, to introduce us to a couple of other investors that they might know. And, and that was the way we, we sort of managed to network. And in the end, um, I think it was it was great that that happened because we ended up with a, a really interesting group of uh, people who had, a lot of them were sort of founders themselves in, in companies who had already achieved what we were trying to achieve and uh, were able to offer sort of really valuable insight. Um, so yeah, that, that led us to the sort of pre-seed round really in, in January last year. Um, and then in, in kind of direct contrast to that, we, we obviously launched in April um, things. Perfect time a, to launch a brand. Yeah, Very relaxing. Exactly. Right in the middle of, I'll, I'll let Fred talk about the operations side of that. But, but from a, a sales perspective, it, it went really well. Um, we, we gathered momentum kind of straight off the bat and we did a, a sort of proper seed round um, in, in August. Um, which literally took one one month more or less, um, and was for two million. And I think we had about five million committed, so we we took kind of less than half. Um, and it was just so much easier. Firstly, I think because we'd kind of proven what we were trying to do, whereas <clears throat> previously we'd been, you know, telling people this great story, but didn't even have a product yet to show them. Whereas now we could show that you know we actually knew what we were talking about and weren't just kind of BSing them on on, on our on, on what we were hoping to do. Uh, and secondly, the whole kind of market had had sort of switched full circle on D to C and Econ because the pandemic had meant that everyone was at home, everyone was on Facebook. And uh, at, at that sort of time in lockdown one, um, specifically, customer acquisition costs went right down. So um, everyone in D2C was having a really great time. So in some ways, it was a good way, to, a good place to launch. But uh, in other ways, from an operational point of view, it was it was pretty tricky. And presumably also with team, right? Because you're trying to hype everyone up about this exciting new proposition in your runway up into a bigger raise and you're all remote and disconnected and that with a green team with a new business that you know you have to light a fire under people all the time about vision and mission that presumably was quite difficult suddenly not all being together yeah so i mean i think it's also one of the funnest things about being a startup early stage you're kind of all in the office and you're kind of riding the highs and lows and you've got that energy and you're just kind of trying to make stuff happen um you know make something out of nothing really um and it, it's it, it's an incredibly kind of bonding and fun experience so it was really weird and and uh, unfortunate to have to do that through through kind of zoom you know we were really lucky that we hired two people before just before the pandemic um one who'd worked with me previously at, at hello fresh and um Another just 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 left university, and um, we we spent a lot of time on those first two hires, um, you know, trying to get what we thought would be the the, the foundation of our culture, and um, you know, they're now equally responsible for driving the business forward as 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 we are, and, and have been incredible, um, you know, hires and 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 really helped drive the energy and and set the the kind of bar really high for what for what we want, and they've always been very positive. And and that then flows down into the people they've they've recruited. So 
again, it, it, it was one of those things where your first kind of two, three hires are just so, so important. And if you can get them right, even when you're over Zoom or um, Hangouts, they, they, if they buy into the mission and they're, they're really excited, then, then that will transfer down and, and hopefully the rest of the team kind of um, buy into that. Um, so, so, yeah. It keeps good pressure for you guys too, presumably, to know that you know you you want to keep you want to take people on the journey with you, and you want to inspire them to be sort of founding um, employees. Presumably, that's good pressure for you guys to live up to sort of them taking a taking a punt on uh, on your business. Because I think for a lot of these exciting startups, um, you know, it's not it's not just a salary. It's very much people are really buying into what you guys are telling them, which is in theory a hypothesis at the beginning yeah and 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 that's something i believe in massively having done that journey at hello fresh i joined when there were a team of five of us um on on not a very um not a very significant salary um you know and went on an incredible journey over six years and 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 kind of got given opportunity after opportunity to to kind of step up and and feel part of the business and really feel like you're a kind of founding member um, of, of of that company, and um, and so something we you know we we really try and instill and um, keep people going, and and that's you know so far been relatively easy. The first twelve months we've we've been growing fast. It's a it's an exciting branding category, but no doubt it, it, it's a you know daily challenge, and and you never should take your team for granted. Um, and particularly as you become more high profile. Um, I know that the more recruiters will be dropping into their LinkedIn inboxes and, 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 and you know, they're not because they're not in the office, there, there isn't that cultural side of, of, of startups. So we, you know, it's something we have to work really, really hard at. And, um, and, and I think HR is becoming, you know, such an important um, area to focus on early in your business to, to help set the foundations for long-term growth. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned right at the beginning that you banged on the door of a lot of consumer VCs, particularly those with a lot of, um, I guess, FMCG experience, and that didn't really work. And you had to go for more angel investors. What advice would you give someone who was looking to raise now? Is it a case of if you bang on enough doors, someone's going to open one? Um, And is there a tension in that? Because you want the right investors. You want people who can be additive to the business, who might follow their money, who may um, add things that you guys don't have as much experience in. When does when does it become you've just got to take the money? Is that ever a thing, or is it you've got to hold out until the right thing comes through? I think that's that's right. Um, you know, you you really do want to get investors that can add value. Uh, because especially in those early days, um, you know, any help you get at that point when you're sort of two or three people is, is absolutely enormous. Um, and, and can be kind of defining about what direction you take. And, and that direction might define the entire future of the company. Um, uh, advice would be, yeah, you, you've got to bang on doors. And, and I think, you know, if you, if anyone had recorded our probably our first like pitch to a VC, it was it was probably absolutely terrible. Um, but the the great thing is, by the time you've done 10, 20, 30 of them, you know you start to really understand your own business and your own metrics and your own story, and you, and, and things start to really come together. So in, in some ways, it's it's a great process 
in and of itself, even without the investment, because you you get good at it. And it's, you know, as with anything, practice makes perfect. So I think we we definitely got pretty good at, at um, pitching. And, um, you know, it wasn't the case that we were being turned away. It was the case that we were having a lot of conversations with a lot of, lot of VCs that ultimately said no, but, you know, were seriously considering it. So we, we weren't necessarily disheartened into thinking we didn't have an idea because we knew that they were very tempted um we just obviously at that stage didn't have enough to to take them over the line and, and in some ways that was a great thing because actually we didn't launch our product for another three quarters of a year or so and um it would have been very very high pressure to have a major vc um backing you without a product for the first three quarters of a year so in some ways it was great and then you know the biggest learning curve is um when we when we moved on to to angel investors was i think ask for help and and people are so willing to help you especially if they believe in what you're doing and you know we probably got a couple of small investors in who were who were doing you know small amounts um but they knew other people who or who had who had invested with them in other companies and and i think um those introductions is how we sort of very rapidly grew quite a big network to the point that by the time we closed we actually had you know we we weren't struggling and we didn't have to say yes to everyone and even on that first raise we ended up kind of shaving the amount a couple of them were investing down so that we could just stick to to half a million um and then on top of that we were we were really well set up for that second raise because we already cultivated these networks we kept in touch with them um and in the time between january to august we'd um given them you know really good insights into everything we were doing kept them abreast of of all of our ups and downs and they felt part of the business and 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 they wanted i think i'm right in saying that pretty much every single um investor in our first round reinvested their maximum amount that they could into our second round um because they all felt part of the business so um you know treating your investors well and and uh making sure you um you know make them feel a part of what you're doing is, is really important but but also asking for help when you need it um whether it's from investors or, or from other company founders or 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 anything like that is 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 really valuable and and you know certainly a lot of people helped us out and um both fred and i make a point of trying to kind of repay that favor now when we get asked by other sort of early stage finders to 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 help them as well do you have mentors now or have you just got a network of sort of kind interested dynamic people who you reach out to as and when i think we don't we don't have anything formal we we just have um we have some great investors um and and then both of us um you know, along the way of our of our different journeys prior to to Wild, have met a lot of kind of interesting, dynamic people who we we kind of look up to and 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 seek for for advice and um and and kind of um will will ask um every now and again and um and that's that's been really really helpful. Of definitely, those networks are, are very valuable. I want to ask you guys about your your products. I know. Um, that, or I assume that there are uh, going to be new products and new interesting things within the personal care category as you grow. 
you talked a little bit about identifying one product at the beginning and and making sure that you've become sort of category famous for that and then have the opportunity to grow did you at the beginning so for context I spoke to Ed and Jamie who founded Candy Kittens um last week and they you know Jamie was obsessed with sweets and he really wanted to be like a kind of Hugh Hefner type confectionery mogul and then sort of made that work right whereas someone like Lucas who founded Lick he identified an opportunity in a dusty category that needed updating changing revolutionizing branding and went after that specific opportunity and that that was paint which one of those fits more with your deep passions for deodorant so uh, originally we actually wanted to to start a shower gel business um for um you know and, and again i think um for us the, the, the founding motivations are probably a step back from that of like um wanting to to, to drive sustainability initiatives in, in 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 the bathroom where we felt you know getting rid of plastic is something you know that is it's easy to get excited about and it's, it's easy to be passionate about so i think we feel felt very clearly that we wanted to do something that, that did some good and and and, and could drive drive a category uh, kind of forward and that started with sustainability as i said we we, we looked at shower gel and we were like, okay, let's, um, you know, this is a product that that comes in plastic. Everyone's kind of using it and it, and it just, there must be ways to kind of optimize it. But, you know, ultimately there are, it, it's very hard to differentiate with that, that kind of product. So we, we kind of dug a bit deeper and looked for like, where are the, you know, where are the other products we're using in the bathroom where things haven't progressed very much. And, you know, deodorants, the category is, uh, it's very staid that the 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 approach to marketing is very gendered it's it's very um you know if you look at a 1980s deodorant ad and you look at one now um you'd see that not much has not much has changed but um you know we'd seen this huge change in consumer perceptions but specifically you know in food people were really beginning to think about you know not only um, you know, what am I putting in my body and and what impact do those ingredients have um, on 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 my kind of lifestyle? And and it made perfect sense having kind of seen that um, come through in, in, in food that that was just going to play out in in, uh, in in personal care as well. And um, I think there's, you know, few products more personal than than deodorant. And then, you know, natural deodorants, as I think, as we say, they've got they had a really bad reputation. They were, uh, it's a very small category um, and um, really difficult to to kind of navigate and, and find and, and almost nothing online at all. So we just felt once we once we sort of went through that process that deodorants was kind of the, the perfect place for us to to start that mission and, um, you know, and, and, and gives us plenty of scope for the future as well. I guess one of the biggest criticisms of natural deodorants has been that they just don't work, right? That's sort of been one of the things that's been said before about the category. Obviously, as a product first business, was it difficult to launch into a space which has preconceived ideas about how good the products are? Or was that your opportunity to go, well, we can just, you know, it's quite easy if we just make it a good product, then we're sort of beating everyone else. Yeah, we thought it would be quite easy. We're like, how hard can this be? <laughs> Natural deodorant, um, you know, and sure, you're like, why are they not getting it right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, come on, this is this is this is weird. And and our our first attempt with our kind of minimum viable product, um, 
showed us that there was a demand for natural deodorant and that we really didn't know what we were doing when making natural deodorants um, with our first kind of formulation partners. So, so we got some pretty, um, pretty bad reviews, even from our family and friends at that, that kind of first level. So it t- took us six months to actually get a product that we were proud enough to take to market. And, and we did a lot of consumer research insights and testing and, and, um, and, and, and really managed to, um, kind of push some of the boundaries and and as you say along that journey even now that they're really really hard products to make they're really hard products to scale up and manufacture that there's a there's a reason why um dove and links and whatever have created um products that use a lot of artificial chemicals to stabilize them to make them easy to transport to make them sit on shelves for a long time to be able to produce them very cheaply at at mass production and 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 there's a reason why they haven't looked at natural products because they're they're very hard they're very inconsistent they're they're very difficult to manufacture consistency is really hard so we we've learned a huge amount on that journey and um and and i think um you know the the science is coming on a long way we we found some great um partners to 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 kind of work with um but it's it, it's taken us um you know it took us six months to develop that first one we're now on version three of the deodorant that should launch uh next month um and and we're not satisfied and you know we, we're just going to keep working to make it better and the more again the more data we get as a direct to consumer business the more you know if, if we'd launched in retail we'd have no real idea apart from some feedback we heard on the grapevine about how people were responding but the beauty of our business is we 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 can survey our base we can um talk directly to our customers and we can have that direct relationship and and that's been central to to the success so far and how we think we can innovate faster and quicker now than anyone else because we are you know we're, we're we're pretty much the only large natural deodorant brand in the uk now so that idea of ownership over your data and your audience was a really crucial part of your launch strategy of being direct to consumer just through your website rather than flooding retailers yeah we we purposely didn't want to go into retail because we can't control that environment and we can't have the relationship with the customers. And, you know, we really set ourselves a target of get, get a great product that, that, that people are happy with and a, and a brand that people can relate to. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see in the future, maybe we can look at different channels, but, but that's been really, really important for us. And I think of, often underestimated by people who launch in direct consumer, they just think it's kind of this new sexy channel, but, you, you know, there are so many benefits if you if you use that right and, and if you're smart with your data. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what we did for, for Huel for like the first three and a half years before they even went into other retailers. And I think it, it always sounded and felt like, uh, I think a lot of brands in the same way that many brands see, take on PR too early because it's sort of sexy and exciting. I think the idea of being in retail is the same and actually it's not necessarily additive if you're, um as you say trying to learn on the job as much as possible about the people who are actually buying and using and interacting with the product yeah and i think sometimes um, as a as a founder you know learning what to say no to is that is the hardest skill you know we we could have 10 products in market now we could be in lots of different retailers and and i i feel the greatest challenge actually for us is is all about focus and not doing too much and and just doing what we do really really well that's 
that's kind of how we think about it. And the the product, you have a subscription model for the business. Is that something that exists in multiple personal care brands or is that still something quite novel um, in the space that you guys are operating in? Um, yeah, it, it does exist. It, the, the, the great issue with subscription is it, it makes things uh, technically much more difficult to manage. Um, so, you know, if you're, especially if you're a small business, um, you know, you can only really afford to set up a very si- simple subscription process. Um, so as we've grown, you know, we've, we've had to invest a lot of resources into kind of bespoke checkout funnels, bespoke account areas, you know, enabling people to cancel or change their subscription or delay their subscription or all, all these kind of features don't necessarily just come kind of ready to go just because you, you've decided to do a subscription um, business. So, I, you know, there, there are many subscription businesses out there and, and many of them do really, really well. And I think if you if you can nail subscription, it is a great thing because obviously you get devoted customers and your, you know, your, your marketing metrics um, materially improve because of that. But likewise, if you, if you don't get it right and you don't provide a good experience and for example, you know, you make it hard for someone to cancel or change their frequency of order, you can, you can, it can lead to bad reviews and, and customers having a bad experience. So um it's definitely a big undertaking and um technically speaking it's it's the hardest challenge we have in terms of ensuring uh we can offer kind of seamless subscriptions for for all of our customers what would you say the most valuable investment is that you've made into the business so whether it's hr software some of your paid for marketing design etc what's been the most valuable investment um the most valuable investment i think is is ultimately our, our our packaging and our product we we put all of our early money into making the best packaging most innovative packaging on the market and creating the best deodorant we could um and for me you know the brand you know branding and team and hr and all this stuff um comes secondary to creating a great a great product and a great customer experience and and we continue to prioritize a lot of our spend probably more uh, than than a lot of people in 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 the product and and refining that and improving that and we we really feel as if we we have a good product then everything else kind of will start to follow and is that you mentioned earlier about um the early iteration of the product not being as well received as you'd hoped by family and friends has there been a standout fail from the last two years? I know um, it's quite sexy to to focus on fails, but you know deliveries going missing or uh, you know pack- incorrect packaging. Has there been one moment where you've had to look at each other and be like, "Yeah, we fucked that up." <laughs> there have been been a lot of moments. Yeah, yeah take uh, one. <laughs> it's been a lot. I mean, I, I think launching uh, at the beginning of lockdown, whilst uh, from a, a demand side, was very positive i think um but basically uh networks for um uh, ingredient suppliers closed down overnight um and no one could get hold of um of, of, of any products um and and we were at the bottom of the food chain so to speak so we were the last people uh that anyone was interested in ordering you know uh 
small numbers of, of deodorants that were just a bit of an inconvenience for, for, for people involved. And we'd done a lot of um, shagging. So, I mean, we really, but there was a stage where at the weekend, I, you know, I was just so desperate to try and find a solution. I, I'd sort of approaching people on LinkedIn and, and I'd approach the head of operations at, um, uh, at, at a large uh, cosmetics brand at Lush uh, and said, you know, do you have any baking soda um, for our products? Um, is there, is there anything you can do? And, and the guy replied to me on a, on a Sunday, which was, which was amazing. And, and we managed to, you know, without too much disruption, get products out and, 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 and kind of grow, but definitely that, that was really stressful. And then Brexit um, has also caused, caused plenty of challenges and, and, and things to think about um, this year. So um, yeah, it's been, it, it's definitely not been all, uh, success and 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 uh that there've definitely been big learning curves along the way and, and I'm sure they continue will continue to be. And just two quick questions to finish. The first, um you mentioned you briefly mentioned greenwashing earlier and obviously we've talked about sustainability and you know you guys are operating in an incredibly monopolized industry. What do you think the biggest challenge is what do you think the biggest challenge that your industry is facing um is in the next couple of years? Um, I guess we we sort of know how you're uniquely positioned to address a lot of these issues, but is there one thing you think um, from your expectations is is the challenge of the whole industry? I think I think we've learned really through trying to innovate and create new products ourselves. Just how hard is to you know very simply remove something like plastic, and you know if you think of a bottle that you kind of squeeze or, or that has a something that you pump it has little mechanisms in it that are plastic and, and that's why it can work. You swap that out. There's, you know, there just isn't really um, much at the moment that, that can replace it. So I think that the industry as a whole has, has a huge issue with being able to innovate quickly because there just aren't good materials that have been, invented yet really to to replace that and there are these kind of green plastics out there that you know still are not particularly eco-friendly you know they, they may not take five thousand years to biodegrade but they still take 500 years so it's not not necessarily solving the problem um so you know we're obviously at an advantage because our whole core um you know prospect is that is that we are a sustainable business so everything we do first and foremost has sustainability at its center but for larger businesses they would have to invest a crazy amount of money to be able to make these changes and it it becomes very difficult when you're a huge corporation because you you make um orders for the next five years or you make design changes for the next five years and you move incredibly slowly and it's, it's not easy to just change your mind or innovate overnight so you know changes will happen but it's going to be very slow much slower than than really it should be and the hope is that businesses like us and and others um in the in a similar space can kind of lead the charge and provide um technologies or products or inventions that maybe these larger companies end up uh, adopting or that that become you know hopefully we become a larger company but you know that 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 essentially enable consumers to make better choices without having to um, 
give up on on convenience or efficacy or, or, or anything else. So I think that's the big challenge and, and will remain the big challenge, certainly for the next 10, 20 years. Hmm. And so what's next for you guys? Can we get excited about new products, new flavours, new iterations? I doubt you're going to give me any sort of concrete info on that, but what's what's sort of next this year? So we, we want to make sure that we continue to be as wild as possible. So really thinking outside the box about what sort of flavors, ingredients and boundaries we can push with our, our, our kind of current product. I think, um, you know, we launched a peach Bellini scent for Valentine's Day uh, and, and definitely our most successful, um, you know, week ever after, after that. And um, you can you can definitely expect a few more uh, surprise combinations and uh, and um fragrances to, to to kind of launch and then longer term you know we, we we're set on the mission to remove single-use plastic from the from the bathroom but to do that in a really focused and thought through way and and when we do launch the next product um you know we we've we've already been working on it for for a while and and there's still a, a while to go but we're pretty excited about what's uh what what's kind of next in 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 the firing line and uh and feel like um yeah we're just getting started i'm really appreciative of your time i know it's an hour of the day that you could have been doing something else so i'm really grateful that you guys uh decided to spend it with me so thank you very much for um for the last hour and i'm sure lots of people will be very excited to hear that you're on the podcast and also listen to some of the things that you've learned and some of the advice that you've given because i'm sure it is uh incredibly helpful to someone about to start a business or in the early stages so thank you not at all thanks very much for having us thanks for having us